Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. going on everybody pat to bear here and we are back 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 again we are doing a very special microsode this is one that i think all four of us were actually very eager to talk about which is very rare i mean you know a lot of times the the comic book movies tend to be a uh, a common bond between all of us and, and a topic that we all like to to discuss but this still falls into comic book land graphic novel land but is outside of the mcu outside of the dc eu i guess it's still a thing uh but this was also something that as soon as we all finished binging it we got into our group chat and said okay so are we doing a special episode just about this and the answer was a resounding yes and we are gathered here in the wee hours of the morning in some areas in some time zones to uh, to sit here and discuss a very special miniseries. So I realized that in our last episode, I jumped straight into it because we were on a time constraint, but I still want to, and I, I didn't introduce everybody, but I want to make sure that we do that. So joining me on the East Coast, safe and sound and dry as a bone, we've got Eric. Hello. And BJ. Hey, hey. And fighting the rising sun that is about to start coming up in the the West Coast, we've got Brian. Good morning. (laughs) Girl, she'll get a lot happier once we start talking about the topic. But it is is literally the wee hours of the morning over on uh, the West Coast. So let's jump into this, y'all. We are here to talk about the Sandman. So, for those who may or may not know, The Sandman is an American fantasy drama television series based on the 1989 to 1996 comic book written by Neil Gaiman, published by DC Comics. The series was developed by Gaiman, David S. Goyer, and Alan Heinberg for the streaming service Netflix, and is produced by DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers Television. Like the comic, The Sandman tells the story of Dream slash Morpheus, the titular Sandman, and the series stars... Tom Sturridge as the title character with Boyd Holbrook, Vivian. I'm going to say this so wrong, so please don't yell at me too much at your speakers. 
Is it Vivian Achempong? Say that as you will. And Patton Oswalt in support, supporting roles along with a myriad of additional guest stars and supporting characters. So this is going to be, uh, if you listen to our Thor Love and Thunder microsode, we have switched up the way that we're doing our our micros, our recaps a little bit here. Instead of us each going individually, we're going to do uh, one at a time, throw out a piece of uh, things that we liked, maybe things that needed improving, and uh, maybe some hopes for a potential season two for this series. So I'm going to throw it over because um, this is, I know, a series that is near and dear to his grumpy heart this morning. I'm going to throw it over to Brian for our first uh, thing that you enjoyed, loved, uh, couldn't get enough of in The Sandman. Oh, such a hard choice. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, like like Pat said, I have followed this series uh, so for, well, I didn't read it when it came out. I will admit I was a little young. I don't think I was back in the comics or I wasn't. No. Yeah. I had read comics prior. I was out of comics for a bit when this came out. Um, or I was, wasn't tracking it until I was much older, went to my comic shop, our comic shop, uh, in Orlando, uh, a comic shop, literally the title. Uh, and they, uh, had it on the shelf, I think as a graphic novel, at the time, and I was like, you know what, this is interesting. I'm familiar with uh, Neil Gaiman, um, but hadn't got around to read this anyway. So I read this series voraciously, devoured the whole thing. Have all of the uh, leather bound? I think they're leather. Uh, tr- omnibus, you know, uh, absolute editions of the series. It's been one of my favorites. Recommended it to a lot of people. Yada yada yada. So when this was announced very worried considering uh, not all comic book adaptations are created equal. Uh, there have been some amazing ones and there have been some horrid ones, but the fact that Neil was involved in this and uh, has not to say who's involved in this, he is involved in adapting this very directly. He has now uh, after uh, good omens and American gods gotten his hands into and doctor who, uh, television work in a very uh, direct way. I, I felt that the time was right and the people that he was assembling were correct. And it, that includes all of the aforementioned cast. They are uh, spectacular without an exception, I think. Um, but one of my favorite things about this whole series was just how well it was adapted and so well that I would say this is an improvement on the original series. And that's not something you get often. Um, it's usually, you know, like, oh, it's different and maybe it's a little bit better, but you're, you're always like, but it's not the same. It really is better in most ways. There's a few things that you could dig in and kind of go, well, I wish they had done more of that. But basically this first series, uh, season adapts the first two, uh, trades, uh, of the, of the, of the, uh, series, um, and it, it does it very well. And, and specifically, I will say, as my, my thing I liked, the improvements on the 24-7 episode, which is a bottle episode about uh, a diner in which um, it's, a, it's a snapshot of what's going on in the world around it. 
with people getting more and more uh, fixated on their heart's desires and, and, and losing all inhibitions to the point of like just horrid, horrible animalistic uh, results, uh, catastrophic, almost apocalyptic results. Um, this episode is fantastic in the series because it really doesn't involve the main character of Morpheus much. It really is just about the uh, these people in a diner. And there is a... Uh, there is a... Uh, oh, gosh, now I can't remember. What was the queer character? What was their gender... <laughs> Sorry, Which one? There's like 40 of them. Oh, you're right. Oh my god, sorry. The one it's with easier the to ask, which was the straight character? What was well, their name? Fair. What was the one with the girlfriend? What was their name? Do you, do you guys remember? Um, um, uh, I ask only because I don't want to say lesbian, but it could have been. I, they were either, I think they were lesbian. Let's go with that, but I don't know if that's true. They were lesbian in the comic book. Let's just do that. I actually yes, went and they, were, and they were pretty much coded as a lesbian in the... Uh, yeah. In the show as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I just want to make sure I got that right. And I was like, uh, um, they they handle that storyline better as just one example because in the comic book, she starts like making out with and having sex actually with like a guy. Um, but in this this they kept that authenticity of you know, she's a lesbian. She's not going to just suddenly start fucking this guy, but. Um, the, the freaking cook though. Oh, oh, oh man. Uh, <laughs> like that's one of those moments in dialogue that I almost sat there and go, was this the choice you wanted? Because if it is, wow, brave. He basically admits to fucking, um, this, this woman's child. Now at first you, I think son, I don't think it's a child, but certainly the, the impression is that this is a, a, this is her son who lives with her. And so you're sitting there like, Oh my God! He is admitting to child, like raping a child or molesting a child at the very least, and then they later follow that up with, "Oh no, he's come back from college or something." So they they kind of yeah they say twenty one. I know because yeah. I got really worried during that one. I was like, "Oh my God!" Like that was crazy. And then oh shit, watching the reactions, a... yeah. <laughs> watching the reactions of people online when they're like. Oh. Um, I but I think it's some. She mentions him coming home, but right. I don't think she says college till no, she he, till he says it. Oh, okay. Well, you've, that's like that's good. like she mentions it prior uh, because she's talking about writing, but then she talks about she enjoys having her son home. That's so good. it's like it's it's slightly implied before he's like I fuck your son and he fucks me and and then she's like she she uses the word child like he's like he's just a kid and then he's like he's twenty one. That's so, it. Okay, it, but it's but it's definitely this really it the build in that episode of like what the fuck is happening and you know nothing good is about to happen, yeah. but it just it's you're like your heart is racing by the time it gets to where everybody just starts completely losing all their barriers, you're like it, it's it's nuts. It is uh, in the comics a gruesome gruesome ending, but it does have a lot of. there's sexual content in this too. Like they, they show like different people pairing off. But um, anyway, that episode was just one I, I remembered reading and just being like horrified by as you're meant to, but just seeing it brought to screen and improved on Gaiman has talked a lot about how he saw this series as a chance to sort of get some things better, like to handle certain topics better, you know, I don't think he's making huge structural changes as much, 
But um, as in any adaptation, you have to kind of focus on this. And that. But anyway, that is just my example of how this show is a fantastic adaptation in the best ways. And I'm sure there's, there's many other things that we loved about it, but that's, that's where I want to start. Yeah, that, that episode. And I came on this onto this even later. I've known about the Sandman, but I didn't read any of the books and I just came into the show, not really knowing much of anything. And that diner episode shit, man, like that was, that was insane. But I've heard a lot of people talk about the fact that it was improved and even reading some stuff about the fact that he originally, it was a 24 page comic. So he was trying to do like an hour per page and to showcase that whole thing. And then that just, he had to scrap that idea because it was just kind of the way that it was evolving, took it to a different level. So to see it fleshed out in a, a, a streaming, a television, a cinematic experience Damn, that was that was really good, Eric. Let's throw it over to you. What was uh, what was a, a great takeaway from this series? Um, well, the bottle episode was probably kind of my favorite of the series, but we just talked about that. Uh, a good follow up though is the whole sequence of him and death. Oh, you took my first one. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so good. Because he kind of finished his quest that he was on for the first half of the series. And both. It's also a good foil for us as the viewer. And probably also it was in the comics as foil for the reader is, okay, he's done with his quest. Now what's going to happen? And we have to find new purpose in the viewing. And also he has to find new purpose in what he's going to do now that he's back and he's got all his stuff. And what does he do now? And so this walk around with uh, death, uh, watching her do her work and how she talks about having times where she almost lost her way and, realized what her real purpose was it was it was beautiful it was touching it was sad um but you know it kind of had you reevaluate that death can be really a gift for people and doesn't have to always be scary and they showed it as just having a friendly face there at the end to guide you to the end and I just thought that was beautiful. I re- I really love. Um, oh, and her the pronunciation for her name is Aki and Pong. Um, <sighs> it's v- okay. Vivian Aki and Pong. Um, yeah, I, you know what's funny is for me when I first because it's like Brian, I I didn't really start into Sandman uh, till it started being done in trades, and then I had a ton of I had a ton of older goth friends in college that literally just had they were like do you want to trade do you want individual issues how do you want to read it like you want a novel i have a novel like it was it was one of those things that was thrust upon me but i always enjoyed it also it's a dc property uh so it is not it is the, part of not these huh? sandman pushers you have in your life oh yeah oh it was it was a big thing and it was they funny open up because- their trench coat and they're like what do you want <laughs> trades individual issues absolutely 100 free. the first taste like- is free 
It was like, hey, oh, no, no. They were like, read it all. They, were, they would literally <laughs> take it out of the closet and be like, I know we're supposed to go to a food festival today, but we're just sitting here reading Sandman, bitch. Um, but that take on death resonated with me super hard when I was growing up because that whole idea like, yes, de- death is like traditionally is depicted as scary. I mean, I don't find skeletons all that scary anymore, but I mean, but it's always been depicted as like this thing that you need to run from. It's coming to get you. But uh, even in the comics and in the show, uh, every depiction of death has always been like, it's rough enough going through this process. Like, let me just be here to kind of hang out with you and like show you what, what's next for your, for your existence and everything. So yeah, I I absolutely love 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 um especially the actress they got. Uh she just oh. has she just has this like energy about her and when she when she um so it's not Vivian's not death. I I kind of makes it no, seem like she, um, No, it's just that's Lucienne. That's yeah, we're, that's we're talking Kirby Howell Baptiste. Yes, who wasn't she in the good place? Yes. Yeah, she she was yes. um, Chidi's Chidi's girlfriend in one of the resets. Um, and she was the the, the professor. Place. Yes, yep. she was the she uh, was a neuroscience. I want uh, to say I want to say Simone, but I'm not. I, I feel like yeah. I'm wrong on that. That's that's 100. Oh, okay. um, ever since I think that's the first thing I ever saw her in, or like like that act automatically resonated with me. But just like her inflections, her voice, um, especially when when she's uh, at the end of the episode where she's like. Uh, that guy, she's like, you see that car? It almost hit me. It was. She's like, it was this close, and she's like, this close, huh? She's like, let's let's go take a walk. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. It's just, and especially her interactions with um, with Dream. It's it was like such a really great like sibling moment. I always love it when people get that sibling relationship spot on. So yeah, I I agree with you, Eric. That I really really liked that uh, that whole episode. It was great. And it's an odd palate cleanser. Uh-huh. Like I, like, I know that, you know, Eric, you, you mentioned it as kind of a, a almost a reset after the, the that first quest is done. But when we're coming out of the 24-7, when we're coming out of that diner episode, it is so intense and so visceral and dark. You would think that the episode featuring death, you know, like uh, was it The Sound of Her Wings is the, the title of the episode you would think, okay, we're just in for another heavy episode. And it's not. It is bright. They're outside. You know, a lot of it is set outside. Um, it restores a bit of faith in humanity, in the the mortal waking realm uh, for Morpheus. And it gives us that, that chance to just decompress and like you both have said, just kind of give that change of how you view death, how, I mean, honestly, even the scene where with the baby, you know, when you talk about SIDS, like that's a huge thing that how do you deal with that? How do you handle that? And it was such a, it was such a moment, but at the same time, it was like, when you see, when you see her, when you see death and how Kirby portrays this, it's just so, it's so warm and it's funny because as you were talking about, about this, the thing that I think 
one of the, the the pieces of media that I was exposed to well before this that I think took a little bit of inspiration from it is Charmed. Because if you go back to like season two or three, I think it was three because I think they were foreshadowing the end of the, the season. Death becomes a character and it's kind of portrayed in the same fashion because Prue ends up, there's a whole episode where Prue... Um, like does a day with death and you know we know that you know when you look back on it if you weren't watching it uh live knowing that that was what was coming at the end of the season and that that eventually shannon doherty's departure from charm meant that they were going to kill um uh prue yeah right yes okay and make sure which p i was talking about and to get it right um (laughs) It was spoiler alert for a very old show at this point, but um, but it definitely feels like it took that inspiration where it was having somebody having that friendly face, having that person there to welcome you and make that transition easier. Um, but that that episode was definitely it was amazing. Uh, BJ, let's transition over to you. What uh, was uh, some highlights from this? Um, so the kind of, to kind of carry off of, um, what Eric said, I have to say, um, just the entire casting of the endless, I mean, the casting across the board was, I mean, I would, every episode that when they introduced a new character, I was just floored, uh, like, and then what Brian said with just like how, uh, Neil Gaiman wanted to update things and kind of feel like get, get some more things right. I was, uh, was it, um, Jenna Louise Coleman is constant Constantine, uh, Joanna Constantine. I was like, she was only there. I think she was there for one whole episode and then like a little bit of another one, but like knocked it out of the fucking park. Like just absolutely embrace the character, all facets of the character, um, and then uh, desire. Absolutely, I was at um, their uh, non-binary uh, Mason Alexander Park. They were just absolutely dripping with like ev- how I envision desire, but just like the idea of desire. Um, and then I'm not sure. <laughs> Real quick, act- before you move on, yeah, is it wrong that when Lucifer asked about his siblings, and she went desire, despair, that I was I the only one that Annie Lennox at that point and did uh, <laughs> <laughs> it started singing "No More I Love Yous," like I, the way I that she said it. Did. It was just so. <laughs> it was so Annie Lennox at that point. I was like, oh. The way that this is written, like that had to have been a thought of like desire, despair, desire. So many monsters. <laughs> like I sorry, I just I said, when you said desire oh, yeah. and despair, I was like, oh, I need to yeah. <laughs> yeah, I it was it was just it was so funny because like um and then and then just the minute details on the character, like what they're wearing, how they're moving. Um, desire. If you if you pay really really close attention to desire, uh, when they're like, "Oh, I got in your skin, didn't I?" And then they're like, "Next time I'll draw blood." Their eyes like dilate significantly, and I was like, "All oh, like a cat," because they're in that they're in that little cat suit, like when Dream comes over, and they're just kind of rolling around in the chair, and I'm like, 
I like I want I and I it makes me want to see more of the endless because we still have destruction, destiny, and delirium, and I'm very excited to see those three pop up um, if and when. I'm I'm mostly sure they're going to get renewed for a second season, but it's Netflix and it's weird. Um, but yeah, no, just the detail in every single character and their casting, uh, even the uh, unity. Um, God, oh uh, the uh, the Corinthian. Oh Ooh. my god! I was like, by the end of the show, I wanted to sleep with him. I was like, come <laughs> on! I'm like, but just like the way they moved, talked, all the the serial, all the serial killers at the serial convention, like the casting was just out of this world for me. Like, I don't even i I can't think of a single character casted in this show that I would, I would change. I can't, yeah. I honestly, it, uh, like, I can't even think of an extra. <laughs> like, he overlooked I, probably one of the most pitch perfect casting that they did. Uh, Stephen Fry played Fiddler's Green, AKA yes! GK Chesterton, another one of my favorite writers. Like, I don't think I realized that that was happening. And then he shows up and I was just like, Stop it. Like, you've just made <laughs> all of the things in my head come true. Like, uh, I, and oh, and I, I have to, I have to, I'm sorry. I hate doing this to you. And this is only because it's an important distinction. So, Joanna Col- Jenna Coleman, not Joanna Coleman, Jenna Coleman <laughs> plays Joanna Constantine. Ah, yeah. That's the pronunciation that the movie's got in <laughs> TV, everybody else gets wrong. Uh, it's Constantine. It's, Leave her if, if it's if it's Keanu Reeves, it's Constantine. If it's uh, Jenna Coleman, or yeah, but uh, oh no, her her casting like she that was an interesting choice, and I I wasn't sure like okay, that's a, it separates it very cleanly from the comics version, which in the comic it is the Constantine Constantine you, you know you're thinking of, uh, but I love that they kept the gender of the girlfriend the same to make her a queer character. Uh, whereas, I mean, John's by he's been he's gotten around, but like uh, I, I really appreciated King that, Shark, uh, you know, King Shark, <laughs> right? Oh my god, oh my god. yeah. Um, so, but, uh, yeah, well, I just, actually, I think that was I think that was a um, uh, there was a licensing issue. I think is what kind mm, of that came from. I don't believe that's the case, but uh, either way, well, not the not the queer coding of it, but the no. the the gender swap was. Yeah, because oh, of the uh, the rights to John Constantine. Yeah, because uh, DC owns him, and this is even though it's produced by DC and Warner, it's still not like the the rights are are very tricky. So all of the DC references are essentially scrubbed out of the show. Right. So but I they that did was the gender dis- swap. I thought that was no. by design to separate, not because they couldn't get the rights. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, That's it a, was to separate the character, but it was because of a rights issue. So it's yeah. it's both. Okay. But yeah, yeah I just... That, uh, I was reading up on that a little bit. Okay. And that's, yeah, um, it's it's a weird rights thing. And that's why some of the, um, some of the backstories are probably not going to be the same or may not be told if we get more Sandman because of the rights. Well, what's funny is, and I guess it's because it's also not just DC, Cain and Abel is actually a DC version of Cain and Abel from the Bible. So that's uh, a curious case where they took the design of the character straight out of DC. Uh, John D is actually Dr. Destiny, who's a supervillain, but 
Uh, and he's the one who, uh, the diner and the Ruby and all that crap. And they changed his stuff quite a lot because I think that's one of those yeah. examples where they had to, uh, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't think it hurts it at all. In fact, I think it only helps it because Sandman was always, uh, even as much as part of a DC universe, it really was separate in Vertigo. Vertigo had yeah. crossover moments like Swamp Thing and Constantine and whoever else like showed up. But overall, it, it, it was always unto itself. Uh, I think in the more modern era, it's blended a bit more into the universe. But they've they've traditionally, even with Vertigo gone, they've kind of kept Sandman a little separate. Um, and you didn't mention Gwendolyn Christie uh, playing <laughs> Lucifer, which if you go back again to the comic, it was this non, not non-binary, but androgynous, non-binary, whatever, uh, rendering who kind of looked like Bowie almost. And they nailed it with her. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, just... Like BJ, you're saying it's just uh, every casting choice was inspired. Uh, Her that, that, smile, yeah, that 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 like Dolores Umbridge, like I'm gonna say, I, I like I don't have to be menacing because I'm fucking Lucifer, like. Just like that whole the the mannerisms of her, where she's just lightly walking around, the little the little smiles, the little chuckles. And then when he when he says the phrase like "Thank you, Lucifer," I I will make sure that you're 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 seen as honorable and intact. And that's when the facade starts to break. And she's and and Lucifer's like, "Surely you jest." And I was like, "Get out! Get out! Get out now! Get out now! <laughs> Stop being cocky! You got your shit. Run!" <laughs> so I, I do not jest, God. and please don't call me Shirley. <laughs> But yeah, it was. Oh my god! Yeah, the cat. I just casting. dated myself very much on that with that joke. <laughs> there is a certain age range that will understand and appreciate that joke. Uh, we, we kept a poker face, but I'm pretty sure all of us. All of us. I mean, I know this group understood <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, that, absolutely the casting. That game between the two of them, as the you know when when uh, the the demon chose Lucifer as. His champion, oh, that oh, so good. And the memes that have come out of that, <laughs> where it's like uh, Lucifer is like, I am, you know, a cis white man, I, whatever, or, or uh, podcasting, women it, hating, <laughs> <laughs> or the what or, was one? I am a Karen manager, manager requesting, an <laughs> annoyance driven. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! My I actually had it backwards. Where Dream was like, "I am a a cis white man who has everything," and then Lucifer is like, "I am pronouns," and then it shows uh, Dream like <laughs> curled up and dying. Uh, so so many good memes that have come out of it. Um, so one of the things that I enjoyed uh, greatly was not the death of the first Raven, uh, which I cannot remember the name of. But that was Dream's Raven at the start of the series. But then we get introduced to Matthew, the Raven, a couple of episodes in. I think in like three, episode three, roughly. And uh, voiced by (laughs) Patton Oswalt. And if you've watched the Honest trailer, the best thing that they said about this character was that it was either Patton Oswalt... Uh, being too lazy to change his voice for the role or admitting the fact that he sounds like a talking bird. (laughs) (laughs) And it was absolutely true. 
Matthew the Raven <laughs> is uh, one of those characters I was referencing just a minute ago who has a DC tied background. Uh, was a character from Swamp Thing that eventually crossed over into the Sandman world as Matthew the Raven. So if we do get any backstory on Matthew, it probably will be changed. But um, a great sidekick, uh, very much a in a lot of ways acts as uh, the viewer stand in because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that he doesn't understand, doesn't know yeah. yep. about the dreaming, about you know what's going on, and gets to ask the questions that maybe the viewer might be asking, especially if they're new to um, to the series and to Sandman world in general. Uh, but I mean, like one of the, the most iconic lines, fuck it, we're going to hell. Like, <laughs> honestly, and said by Patton Oswalt, it's just <laughs> so amazing. So to tie into the casting uh, that we were just talking about, Matthew was definitely a high point for me um, throughout the series. I, uh, I love uh, Marv. Uh, that was that was a nice surprise. Uh, Mark Hamill as as Marv, um, the janitor of the dreaming. That was that was just a wonderful out of like because I think I had I had heard he was involved with the show, but like out of nowhere, Marv just shows up. And what's funny is I listened to I've been listening to the radio drama they did, uh, where they have um, the guy that played Professor Xavier in um, James McAvoy. James McAvoy plays Dream, and Kevin Smith plays Marv. There's a handful of people, just as a quick offshoot to that, I pulled up the the fandom wiki. Um, So from that voice, uh, from that audio series, James McAvoy, uh, he plays the golden hair man in the show, in the Netflix show, Voices Dream. David Tennant, who portrays Don in the Netflix show, voiced Loki in the audio series. Michael Sheen plays Paul on Netflix, voice Lucifer in the audio drama. Arthur Darville as uh, Richard Richard Maddock in on Netflix, voice William Shakespeare in the audio drama. Uh, Niam Walsh uh, played the young Ethel Cripps, voice Nuala, and then Carrie Shale, who portrays Nimrod in the Netflix series, voiced Abel, Azizel, Brute, and Puck in the audio drama. Yeah, for so there's a, a lot of crossover between that. For a yeah. while, the audio drama was the closest thing we thought we were going to get to an adaptation, and I mean, it, it's it's also quite a, a joy and a gem. But um, uh, this this definitely, and they just uh, dropped the the third book. Oh, they surprise yeah. dropped it. Yeah, Did not see so, that yet. Oh, or hear hear that yet? I gotta I gotta go dig that up for my next uh, adventure somewhere. But uh, I think literally yeah. days ago, so you're not too far behind. Is I think it was like maybe within the past couple of days from when we're recording. Um, so it, it literally just came out and was kind of a, a surprise drop for, for audiobook fans. I feel like those are on audible. I think that's where I listened to it, but yeah, I think, they, I think yeah. you're right. If that's anyone, where I got, that's where I got it. If anyone is like, Oh my God, what's going to happen to the future of the show? Is it going to be renewed? Somebody's going to pick it up, but you can go now and start listening to these. And of course you can go read them, but you know, if you, if you're, if you're, if you're of a lot of the folks who just, and, and I will say the pacing of the comics, that's one thing. I, I mean, I, I know I'm kind of jumping in a little bit, but the, the, the pacing of the original first, especially the first trade and the art style, it's a little rough at times. And um, even as a comic book reader, I was kind of like, oof, I, I got through it. Uh, but I was like reminded of just how that era was in comics. So I don't know that I would say go out and get that first trade. 
unless you really, really, really want to see where it came from and just take your time, be ready for it to be a little surprising and, and not always in a good way. Um, but yeah, no, yep. the, the casting was so good. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, but, uh, so Patton. Okay, I will say this: Patton. I love Patton Oswalt. I think I think anyone who knows anything, uh, at least about my preferences, knows I love Patton Oswalt. He's great. Me, one of my favorite comedians of all time. I wish he had done something with his voice. I just, I don't know. For me, I took me out of it for a hot <laughs> second when I was like, "Oh yeah, Patton's playing the bird." But great overall love love uh love the character matthew and uh yeah i just uh i don't know that was my that if i had if i had to pick one negative thing and i mean this is really i think it it's I, we're not I just, at that point yet we're not okay, there okay. yet well there's the same spoiler <laughs> alert that's my only negative so it's all up from here you know i would say foreshadowing but, but that's a lot <laughs> i think that's a little bit more than foreshadowing but dear listeners, we hope that you're enjoying this episode and every other episode that we put out for you on the Nerdy Show Network. If you are so inclined, go check out our website at flameonshow.com. There we have all of our links to our uh, Twitch accounts, to our social media, to our Threadless shop. Um, there are some great things that you can purchase in the Threadless shop where you can rock your Flame On swag, just like uh, friend of the pod, Jamie. Be like Jamie. Go get yourself some swag from the thread of the shop. And I actually think Brian has some. I uh, was rocking this flame on swag here in Chicago. Uh, so go get your own. Put a photo up on social media. Tag us. We would love to see it. And we also have a link to our Patreon. If you want to go there directly, it's patreon.com forward slash flame on show. And uh, you can join at any one of the four tiers. We are in the process of getting ourselves caught up on everything. And uh, we've got some a lot of great content coming your way. So you can join any one of those four levels and uh, become a patron for Flame On Show and help us continue doing what we love to do for you here. So that's flameonshow.com and patreon.com forward slash flame on show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com botox cosmetic out botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. All right, so real quick, let's... Uh, do a little round robin and uh, throw out some extra things that uh, tickled our fancy from the show before we move on to maybe some uh, improvements for a potential season two. We, we hope that there'll be a season two. This is one of uh, the most expensive shows being produced right now. So we know how uh, streaming services love to try to cut costs, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed, toes crossed. 
I think and, the only um, show more expensive right now is Rings of Power. Another I'm, show that I we will be talking about in detail at some point. You're not wrong. I think this was a $160 million show to produce. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, Neil Gaiman was saying that even like on Twitter, it was like, even though this has been a top level uh, binge watched at number of hours, like all of that. And that for weeks it sat at number one on like the top 10. This is still a really expensive show. And I mean, it's also tempering expectations, but damn, like, yeah. Mm. She an expensive one to, uh, to produce, but uh, let's throw out some, some last uh, positive takeaways from the show before we uh, move on. What y'all got for me? Music. Oh, the soundtrack. Makes the people. Come together. Yeah. Oh, but, not Madonna. Sorry. <laughs> um, my least favorite Madonna album. Um, oh, oh, oh. Aha. Didn't hot, gotcha. Gotcha with, with the side. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say anything about it because I'm a fan of older Madonna, <laughs> older you. music Madonna. Like, give me the something to remember compilation album where it's just her ballads from like, the 80s to like the late 90s that right there i could sit with with that album and just be perfectly happy i don't even think music is not older madonna i mean it's not classic madonna Mm. but like compared to the shit she's put out and i literally mean the shit that's come out in the last few years (laughs) that she did uh, that's like that's like the golden age but um but yeah the music uh david buckley uh who i had never heard of in my life when they announced buckley was doing the score i was like uh who are you and you go back and you look at some of his previous stuff, and he's definitely, I mean, he, he did like a Jason Bourne movie. I mean, he's done stuff, but nothing that ever stood out. But uh, yeah, BJ, like that first track that's on the soundtrack, which is, I think, the opening oh credits. Uh, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Uh, there's some other stuff in there that's pretty good. But what was nice is it's, it's, it's it, it added like atmospherics. Like a lot of it was very complimentary to the uh, creepy factor, as you, as you mm-hmm. would want. And then with, but was still some beautiful. Every time they would go back to the dreaming, and they would do the recap on the theme, it was just like, oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it was uh, for me. It was it. It was just there. There are moments where I wasn't expecting to build suspense. Like I wasn't expecting to be like, oh my god, what's going to happen? And it was the like the whole. I went back and watched that whole last episode with the serial convention and everything, and just like. About halfway into the episode, I had the pause to go. I went to go grab a drink or something, and I get downstairs and I'm like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm like, just the like, especially when Fiddler's Green is running in and seeing all the different panels and sl- oh. like slowly realizing, like, oh no, this is oh no. We this should is back bad. up for people who have not seen that <laughs> or read this. The cereal convention is is what they call it, <laughs> but it is not um, a food snack, uh, breakfast time food snack. It is instead a serial killers convention that they are not so. I mean, they're hiding it, but they're not like hiding. They're it, collectors. They're not oh, they're serial collectors. killers. That's they're right. collectors. They're collectors. Yes, which is kind of a funny sort of indictment of. Uh, I read this episode uh, or watched and, and kind of thought back as sort of a uh, indictment, maybe the wrong word, but sort of a play on the comic convention industry uh, <laughs> in some ways, which is hilarious. Then when you apply that lens, but um, any, any convention would do, uh, but specifically because they're talking about collecting, it, it is sort of on the nose, but um, 
Yeah, serial convention is uh, a, such a great part of the dollhouse storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thrilled that the uh, Chesterton slash Fiddler's Green was a huge part of it. Um, and they, they gave him a little less time, but probably the most inspired thing that they added to that was John Cameron Mitchell, which when you go back, it's a little, a little different. I believe there is still a drag queen of sorts, but it's not the, the focus is not given to John, that John Cameron Mitchell's character. So I think that's another delightfully queer, uh, addition or, or amplification of what was already there. And just, uh, that whole, that whole ensemble was fun, but man, John always steals the show, whether he's Hedwig or the Tiger oh, yeah. King. <laughs> and that's, and that was the thing I really liked is the fact that like, like, cause you have, you have like the soundtrack to the show, but then you have like the sound engineering. And then on top of that, he had like what, two or three musical numbers. And like, I, yeah, just, uh, and honestly, I would love an entire, if they ever get a season two, I want an entire musical episode because I feel like if he, like you fall into the right dream, you're going to have, you're going to have a musical episode, but just like, just the way they treated how he, how his dreams go and how, like you said, when they transfer into the dreaming chef's kiss, like wonderful. Yeah, one of the things that I loved um, was when he is collecting the rogue um, nightmares, and he goes with Rose to find her her brother, and he's you know um, they they go on that whole trek and and they find him because he's detached from the dreaming, and when he goes into like these these dreams that he's having, and when I, I can't remember the name of the nightmare that they bring back. Galt. Galt. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, when Galt comes back, that interaction between Lucien, uh, Dream, and Galt, and the the reflection that Galt puts onto Dream, like the, 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 just the manner of having to think about how he is, how he has perceived everything, and then what his time away has meant, and the fact that people change and that nightmares can change and the fact the resolution to that and reestablishing Galt as not, you know, as, as a dream, as a, a not nightmare, I guess is the best way to distinguish between dream himself. Um, I thought that was fantastic. And it was such a way to not only show the character growth of dream in the episode and through this arc so far, but to have the audience reflect back about, yeah, you may have done some shitty things or you may have done something wrong, even if it's just a situation, but to be able to take and learn from that and grow from that and be better and do better. I thought that was a a fantastic lesson to be put into a show like this for sure. They, um, they adapted Galt from these two other dreams or nightmares called brute and glob. So, I was sitting there the whole time, like, I don't remember Galt. And I was like, is this like a play on, like, John Galt from, like, Anne Rand or something? I, I was trying to figure out, like, what, what? And, uh, yeah, going back, I was like, oh, they simplified this because it just made more sense to have, like, the three. You know, everything's in threes, right? So, Corinthian, Fiddlers, and then um, this Galt character. But, um and then they streamlined this whole uh, her her child the the child that what was it the brothers oh, I forgot the brother's name, um, the superhero storyline is a big 
sort of DC-esque superhero focused thing. And they kept the spirit of it, you know, certainly. But um, it, 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 like we talked about, they kind of pulled it away from the DC universe proper. So it was a, it was actually a connection back to, as was the freaking uh, chick uh, who was dreaming about being pregnant. I had forgotten that that's a, that's a, a character related to Wonder Woman in the comics Mm -hmm. and i was like oh yeah crap so yeah but it didn't hurt it like i said like the dc stuff absolutely being being divorced from it had no impact whatsoever and if anything just clarified and made it a little a little more streamlined so you didn't have to worry about all the the backstories and underpinnings of this and that um yeah because as a as a first a first time being exposed to the story that would have like there was no point where I was like, "Oh, I wish there was more backstory to this." Like we got just enough in the show itself to say, "Oh, okay, cool." Like to have some sort of connection to the character as they progress, without needing a ton of this backstory that goes with it. Um, yeah, that, that definitely did not hurt it, in my opinion. Did we all watch the bonus episodes of the series that dropped like what, like two weeks after they ended the season? <laughs> Yep. That oh, Trixie and Katya okay. spoiled, technically. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Wait, what? Yes. Um, so when they released uh, Trixie and Katya's like, Queens That Like to Watch episode for Sandman, uh-huh. uh, however, it included the bonus episodes, and they released that episode. They, re- they always release it, like, I want to say a couple days at, like, when people, like, I think a standard Actual amount drop, of time yeah. Yeah. that people have had to binge it. So then they dropped that. Well, they dropped that with Trix and Katya <laughs> also commentating on the, the, the bonus episode. That, the I two still haven't of, watched it. I need episodes. to go back and watch it now. Oh, and, yeah. and they, yeah. they pulled it, but they but they definitely, because I started watching it, and then after like the end of the, what I thought was the last episode, it goes into another episode, and I don't ask me how I had, I had this, like, this instinct attack to be like, nope. <laughs> so we've all seen the bonus episodes, though, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So they're in the comic, and I went back later, and I was like, oh, because at first I thought the cat one was one that they did, like, in a special collection. Like, no, it's right there. Just completely forgot. That's the one that Trixie spoiled. <laughs> and yeah. I'm glad she did, because it's kind of a trigger warning. If you if you don't like seeing bad things happen to cats, just you should definitely know that some bad things are going to happen to some cats in this episode. <laughs> Uh, it's less quick. so than I thought. Like yeah. I saw, I saw kind of the warnings about. It. I think you all in the the chat had said something. And I was like, when I watched it, I was like, oh, okay. Like I don't like what happens, definitely. But it it was not as vivid or detailed as, as I thought. As people yeah. kind of made it out to no, be. Yeah. Thank- absolutely. Thankfully, no. It was uh, it was very not graphic, but it uh, and it, it's necessary as a setup for what happens. So I mean. Like get it, but the uh, the other episode really surprised me too, because it <clears throat> alludes to some mythology with Morpheus that connects him um, to uh, a muse, Calliope, and how they had this love affair and had a child, uh, and that child is the Greek uh, mythic hero Orpheus, and so later in the Sandman series, like much later, they actually go back and have a whole um episode i think it's just an issue but like like where they deal with the orpheus character and kind of tell that story so that really delighted me um i'm sure eric you appreciated the did they i forgot did they actually name check him or no i forgot i think they did. i don't know if they say i don't think they call him orpheus but they mentioned being 
uh, yeah. being together and having a child. Okay, I yeah. thought they name checked them, but either way, it's a it's a it's a it's a mythic figure uh, special to some of us in in, in the in the in the flame on circles. So uh, it was uh, it was neat to hear that reference. And that episode was also just so oh so hard to watch, but also so like uh, you know every every creative person who's ever had like writer's block or some kind of artistic block and 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 just the whole frustration that then twists and becomes horribly ugly in this in this horrible way uh that episode is uh but th- it makes sense that they kind of pulled them out from the story because it really didn't fit as cleanly into the overall uh sort of arc of the season um but i loved it yeah. i love both of those episodes i'll say that it's amazing how much tension and how much you can portray without showing a goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. Because um, first off, because of Xanadu the musical, I will always say Calliope, but you know <laughs> that's just a me thing. Um, but when he when he go when he rapes Calliope, like they don't show that at all. And I know that that's actually like I think it's depicted in the comic. Um, as much as you can depict it in drawn form, but it is explicit. And that is not what is shown what, you know, the door closes and he comes out with the scratch on his face. And it's like, wow, it it was intense to see like that whole thing be portrayed without having to show it. I'm also still mad that the muses give, men shit uh, when they uh, after they rape them like that's just like that's just a mm, yeah that was a difficult episode to watch it was very well done but that was that was a tough one to uh, to watch Um, any other last uh, big call outs we want to do before we do a quick round of uh Improvement and in, in possible speculation or desires for a forthcoming <laughs> Sandman. All right, let's jump into Brian. Since you foreshadowed, <laughs> what, what would be uh, what would be some improvements or, or things that you maybe didn't like about the series? No, I mean the only thing I really didn't like was just the voice of Matthew, which is so stupid. Who cares? Um, I, I, I he just sounds hope- like a talking bird. Yeah, he does. I, I now I'll never not see that. Um, he just doesn't look like a talking bird. If you've if you've seen Patton do stand up, he just the, the, the talking bird is the uh, talking penguin is about the closest I could. I was going to say you put feathers on him. I think you can make him a bird. Oh, to be God. honest, that's, that's going to haunt my nightmares now. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think overall the series is great. I think obviously if they could make it less expensive and maybe make it uh, no, uh, we just need we just need more. It's such an epic story. I'm so excited for all of the things that are coming in it. Um, I, I just, I can't accept that Netflix wouldn't back it, except that right now the streaming world is just doing bizarre and horrible things. And I, God, I just want more of it. So, uh, you know, Warner's figured out. I think they're going to somehow, um, whoever, <laughs> if Amazon wasn't draining money into the Lord of the Rings franchise, maybe they'd be able to pick it up. <laughs> but Bezos sell a yacht and make make some more sandman come on <laughs> i'll I buy more uh, of, amazon stuff if you do <laughs> one of the things that might help is um if, if i if i remember reading correctly it looks like netflix is going to go away from the binge model 
and go yeah. to a fully we're going back to television y'all like seriously yeah. it's just yeah. we yeah. have come we're almost completely full circle from before streaming was a thing we're going back to weekly releases which i'm fine with i have no yeah. problem with this but i think that may also help because what happens is people sign up after the series is out they'll binge it and then they let their one week trial expire or whatever and then they don't stick around so these people are losing you know subscriptions they're losing all this money and then they jack up the price for everybody else that sticks around and then those people want to leave so maybe this will be a thing that will help and then they can release the salmon in a weekly fashion you know series two and anything beyond that we'll see what happens I have one um, more thing real quick. I just thought oh, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sandman uh, in the comics is uh, oftentimes a little more, um, looks like Eternity from Marvel, kind of magic-y, weird, cosmic kind of in the background. I think if they play more with that, that'd be fine with me. I mean, the, the way they handled it makes a lot of sense. And when you go back again to the comic, they they actually do start from this more grounded, tangible Morpheus who's getting his powers. But, and they do it a little bit in the show. There's this key sequences, and I know they're, they're, they're expensive, I'm sure, for the effects, but like uh, seeing Morpheus more in that kind of crazy ethereal version of him would be uh, at least, you know, a nice touch every now and again. Um, but th- that's the only thing other than that. I, the rest of the show is perfect. BJ, what say you? No notes. I have literally no notes for the show. I think it was absolutely perfect. Um, I am, I am desperate to see who they cast for the other endless siblings. I ha- I am desperate to see who they're going to cast for delirium. I I absolutely am excited to see who they cast for um for destiny, uh destruction. I think there was another one in there. Um but those are the three I'm most excited for and I'm pretty sure we'll get cuz I know um they keep saying the prodigal son returning. And uh, that alludes to, I think, his destruction kind of abandons his post a bit um, in the comic. And Delirium wasn't originally known as Delirium. They actually, something happened to them to force them to change into Delirium. I believe it was, I believe uh, they were Delight um, originally. So I'm very excited to see those stories uh, play out and see how they do those stories. But other than that, it was perfect. No notes. I loved it. Nice. Eric, what about you? For me, um, the first half of the show was much, much stronger than the second half. Um, When I say second half, I mean after episode six, so like seven through ten. I guess I just didn't like the character of Rose and the dream okay. vortex just being this MacGuffin. As somebody who hasn't <laughs> read the comics at all, it just felt like such a weird, obtuse kind of thing that um, that doesn't really pay off at the end. Yeah, there isn't really a resolution to it. Yeah, yeah, I hear you there um, for sure. I mean, there were good things that happened in those episodes, like the serial convention, and was neat, and all the all the um, oddball characters, uh, the misfit toys, if you will. Um, from the house were cool. Um, but yeah, that pacing of that story, just storyline just felt a little off to me. Um, 
I guess because it wasn't as Morpheus centric. There were so many other people. Um, oh, honey, I hate to break it to you. This show is not Morpheus centric. <laughs> if, 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 if you if that's a thing, let me just tell you now. If it keeps going, you get less and less of Morpheus because it's really Sandman is an anthology show, a series, uh, whatever. Morpheus is there, and, and sometimes there are Morpheus centric, like the the endless stories and all that. But that's almost like the you know how like X Files had the mythology episodes, and they would do yeah. like Monster of the Week. It's more Monster of the Week, or you know, Arc really. So, uh, and, and I'm not is, saying Morpheus has to be in every single scene. I'm just. Um, it's just that character that of Rose, her storyline did really do anything for me. Yeah, I hear that because like, uh, one of the bonus episodes, the one with Calliope and, and, uh, Maddox and all that very little Morpheus, but it was a great episode. Same thing with the 24 seven. It was very little Morpheus in it, but yeah, there's a way to be able to kind of balance out the interest with it. And Rose's story just felt a little meh compared to the rest of it um for me the pacing of like the first episode or two it was a little tough not having been a reader of the graphic novel it felt like it slogged through the intro and i know there's a lot of world building you have to do that was like my my biggest issue was trying to get through that and understand what's going on but then once the story picked up i i definitely enjoyed it and i i hope to see more sandman more sandman in the future um, I think we also touched on some of the things that we're, we're excited or hopeful for, for a season two and beyond. So, um, dear listeners, if you have watched and enjoyed the show, we would love to have more in-depth conversations. Hit us up. We would love to talk about it with you. Comment, um, share your thoughts, DM us, email us, whatever you'd like to. And, uh, we'd be happy to talk more Sandman. Uh, we'll be back in two more weeks with our next pop culture roundup. Um, a couple of us will probably be a little older by that point when the episode <laughs> comes out. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, check us out online, flameonshow.com, patreon.com forward slash flameonshow. And with that, dear listeners, Bobby Itch. Bye. I'm going to tw- go twerk with a crystal flute now. Got to go by. <laughs> <laughs> 